But this morning, I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. I text uh, uh, Sister Pam last night, and I said, uh, we were just discussing some things about service today by text, and I said, I would like for you to add, show me your glory to the song lineup for this morning. She said, I've already got it lined up for in the morning. And that was good because that, to me that's confirmation of the Holy Spirit. I've, I've, I've wrestled a little bit with this message throughout the week this week. And I'll be frank with you, I, last night, uh, up until, you know, I finished up about 10.30, I think it was, last night. Because I really want the mind of God in this message. So, thank you. Thank you for bearing with me and us today. But I want you to, as we go to the Word of God, just to read right along with me. Paul writing to the church at Corinth said, But if the ministry of death... Engraved in letters on stones, he's talking here about the Ten Commandments as we know it. But if the ministry of death engraved in letters on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? I'm going to elaborate on that in a, in a moment in more detail. But what Paul is addressing here is if the glory of the Lord that settled on Moses when he went up and, and met uh, God on the mountain and the, the Ten Commandments were given in stone, if, if, if as glorious as all of that was, as intent as the face of Moses was, how much greater is the glory of the Holy Spirit going to be on the church of the New Testament? Which is, look at somebody and say, that's us. For if the ministry of condemnation, which is the law, for if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness excel in glory. For indeed what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, which was the anointing that was on Moses... For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Let me tell you what Paul just said there. He said the anointing that settled on Moses faded. The veil that had to cover the face of Moses would eventually be peeled back. Because the glory would lift off of Moses. But there is a glory that is settled on the New Testament church. It came on the day of Pentecost. And yes, I realize it is not Pentecost Sunday as such yet. But it's just a few weeks away. And this morning I want you to know that the glory that settled on the church on the day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago, it has not faded. In fact, it may have even the ever more increase. So look up as I preached last Sunday and hold on because the glory of God is in me. Hey, I ain't got ready to preach yet. Listen. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. 
Those of you that sat over in the life group in the fellowship hall this morning, we talked about this. We use great boldness in our speech and we're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not stare at the end of what was fading away, speaking of the glory. He said in verse 14, But their minds were hardened, for until this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same bell remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, now, Everybody say now. Now Now, the Lord is the Spirit, not a Spirit, but the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being, are being, say being, That's a process are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. Father, thank you for the power of your word. May I bring it justice today through your anointing and may the hearers, Lord God, receive from your word this day. It is. It's been often said that uh, on a headstone that is in a cemetery, and God knows that many of us in this room, including myself, have seen many, several of those in the last months. But it has been said that on that gravestone you'll find etched a date of birth and a date of death. But what is uh, those two dates are pale in comparison to the significance. Of the dash that separates those dates. Because you see the dates represent the beginning and the ending of a life. But that tiny mark, that dash, that hyphen, whatever you want to call it. As simple as it may be, as simple as the mark is itself. It represents the journeys, uh, the journey of that person through this life. Now regardless whether their span of days has been few or if it was many. It speaks of the life of that person. And today I want to preach to you, if you would, a life of transforming glory. Because in a similar fashion, Paul is writing to this church at Corinth concerning the believer's journey. It's a trek that begins with their salvation and it continues until consummation, whether that be by death or if you're here this in this room this morning or watching or whether it comes by the rapture of the church. On one occasion, Paul even mentioned that he was not writing if as he had already attained, but he wrote as I am pressing towards the mark of the high calling of God. You see, we are on a journey in this room this morning. You're on a journey that as you watch Facebook Live and watch this service, you're on a journey as you listen to radio and listen to this service. We're all on a journey. And it began not necessarily when we were, when we were birthed to our mother, but the real journey began when we surrendered our hearts and our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never done that in this room or watching, if you've never done that, if you've never surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, you 
You haven't really begun your journey yet. But today is the day because the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the second, is the accepted time. But when we enter in, when we bark into this journey, the new birth as we call it, and when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. And when we find ourselves embarking on this new journey, we find ourselves leaving the first glory. Now, what is the first glory? You see, the, the first glory, if you would, is the old covenant. The old covenant is, is and don't misunderstand me at all, the, the Old Testament is, is still of great worth and it's still of great effectivity. Because the Bible says that it's the law that convicts us. It is the law. It's the law that establishes the difference between good and evil, between morality and immorality. It's the law that that brings us to conviction through the working of the Holy Spirit. And it's the work of the Old Covenant. That was given to Moses directly. I've already spoken about as he went up on the mountain and and God came down and began to write in in tablets of stone with his own finger and and like the stone that the law was written into, the law was hard and it, and the law was rigid. And the law that is still there, conviction, but the law will bring forth judgment. And the difficulty was and still is, we cannot keep the law. We cannot, I don't care how good you are, you may be a wonderful person, you may not have ever told a lie, you may not have ever said a bad word, you may not have ever stole anything, you may have never done anything wrong, you may not have even ever been mad at anybody, you, you may be the perfect person in the world, but listen to me, we have all broken the law in some matter, in some way, and, and the scripture says that if we broke the law in part, we have broken the law in its entirety. So, as we and we God intended that this law be a temporary guardian of humanity if you would and only temporary until the sense that the coming of the new covenant the coming of Jesus Christ you see because before Moses was God already knew that his son Jesus would come to earth before Moses was ever thought about before Abraham and Jacob and Isaac were ever were before Adam ever existed God knew that his son would come to this earth and he would die a brutal death for the for our iniquity for the forgiveness of our sin and he would be buried in an empty tomb and he would rise again in three days that he would conquer death hell and the grave and that all would be done for us so the glory that settled on Moses when he went upon that mountain and he was given these tablets written with the finger of God When Moses came back down from off that mountain, his soul encounter, his soul encounter. You see, humanity as a whole couldn't encounter God. But Moses encountered him and he came from that mountain and he came from that mountain with a veil over his face. Now, I, I know there's there's different kinds of weddings now. You know, I, I, probably one of the most bizarre weddings I ever did a number of years ago, I did a shotgun wedding. And they had people holding double-barrel shotguns with bouquets of flowers down in them. Yeah? Yeah? But but there's different kind of weddings. But but in a traditional wedding, as we know it in the Western culture, in a traditional wedding, a lovely young maiden, a, a lo- unless... You know, unless it's one of you older ladies that we can get married off and then it's a, it's a, an older lovely lady, you know. 
Where's all my widow women at? Say amen. Yeah. But the, the maiden enters the door and she has this beautiful white dress with a long trail dragging along behind it and she has a veil over her face. And, and in that traditional fashion, that veil remains over her face. It's, it's, it's shielding, it's hiding her glory, if you would. You see, the church, the church has some similarities to that. And then, and then when the moment, when, when the marriage union, when the marriage union has the, the, the consummation, the, the, the union has taken place, and then all of a sudden, you know, you tell that groom he may kiss his bride and, and he raises her veil or the matron of honor will raise the veil and that groom gets to see his bride in all of her glory. Yeah, understand, understand with me this morning the similarities between that and what's going on in the church. Moses was concealed by a veil, but the, the, the glory that was on Moses was only temporary. Somebody said the glory that was on my bride was only temporary. Mine still got it going on. I, you know, you know, she still got it going on. Though physically apparent, it was, it was, though physically apparent on Moses, I want you to gather with me that the Physically apparent, but yet it was not a spiritual indwelling in the life of Moses. Are you with me? In other words, the glory that had settled on Moses from being in the presence of God departed from him eventually. So what we find is, as we come into this church, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth. And these are Jesus' followers that were drifting back to the law. They were drifting back to the law of Moses, what their ancestors had taught them. They were drift, drifting back to the, all of the thou shalt nots. Listen, let me remind you, thou shalt nots have value, okay? I'm not saying they don't, but they were drifting back. But let, let me share what's happening to you. When, when they begin to drift back in the law, what was happening, the law was, was once again re, re, reassuming the place of justification and sanctification in their life. In other words, they were losing their confidence in the complete work of Jesus Christ and they were going back to works. Because the law was a law of works. Let me tell you, all that goodness we can muster up that I talked about a few moments ago. All the money that we can give in offerings. All, 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 the, all the nice deeds we can do for people. All of those good works, they have their proper place in the kingdom. They have their proper place in the life of the believer. But all of those things combined together, the Bible declares they are as filthy rags. They are no good for anything else than to be, to be piled up in a dump and to be burned if you study that out in Scripture. But what this amounts to is the church was going back they were going back and returning to their Jewish roots they were going back and and taking hold of the law and the works of the law and now Jesus is or excuse me Paul is writing to them and he is making a declaration to them he did the same thing to the church in Rome when he wrote to them and he said for what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh God did he sent his own son in the light of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. 
That's the first glory. That's the first glory. The first glory, what Paul is saying, was fulfilled, if you would, in the man Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I didn't come to kill the law, but I did come to fulfill the law. So then we enter into the latter glory. The latter glory, and that's the glory of God that rested on Moses. It, 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 it could and it, and it was not beheld by people that looked at him saw it, but nobody else really experienced it. No matter if you was a sinner or a saint, you could look on it, you could see the physical expression, but you did not experience the glory. The spiritual of glory, the spiritual glory of God that has been revealed through Christ Jesus and imparted to us, the church, by the work of the Holy Spirit is, is what caused that thickly woven temple because you see there are veil. There was another veil and this veil did not hang across the face of Moses, but there was another veil that was in the temple of the Lord and that temple separated the most holy place from the rest of the the temple. Only a qualified priest could go in there. Only a man that had prepared himself and made himself ready. And he had to go through an intricate procedure that, that, that was non-negotiable to even enter into that little place that was around behind that curtain. That curtain was thickly woven. Some people estimate that the thickness of it was much as 10 to 12 inches thick. I don't know that, but it was woven together with, with great detail and tightly knitted together. It was something that was not easily torn. It was very enduring. It was, it was tough and it was, it was almost indestructible if you would. But on that day when Jesus gave up the ghost, there was something that happened to that veil. The veil of Moses was eventually pulled back because the glory departed. The, the glory of the Lord was hidden behind the veil in the temple. And all of a sudden on that day when Jesus departed this world to go back into glory, Glory. The veil of the temple was rent and it was torn. The Bible says not as a man would have torn it from top from bottom to top, but it was torn from the top to the bottom and it was supernatural in all of the happenings. And all of a sudden, the glory of God was open and available to whosoever will. So we find the latter glory. Now, the spiritual of glory of God is revealed through Christ. And as he, as we see it as that t- holy place is now accessible, unlike the former glory, the latter glory is transformational. You see, the former glory, keeping of the law, was all predicated on somebody being able to keep the law. Thou shalt not steal, you didn't go out and steal anything. That shall, thou shalt not kill, you didn't go out and kill anybody. But there wasn't necessarily a spiritual impartation to the work of the law. It was, it was a matter of walking in obedience to its giving. But in the former glory, in the former glory, it's, it's, it's transformational. You see, at salvation, at salvation, one is just simply not forgiven, but there are works of justification and regeneration 
and sanctification and spirit in filling that that becomes uh, and understand with me when I say that we're in this room as Pentecostals there there is no way I've heard people say well they they got saved but they need to get the Holy Spirit now I understand listen I understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, a definite work of grace, shown by the initial evidence of uh, speaking in unknown tongues. But I want to tell you something. There is no way it is impossible for you to get saved without the work of the Holy Spirit. It can't happen. It can't happen. Now, there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and don't get the two confused. So then we find in the in that work of regeneration that regeneration that occurs in salvation. Regeneration simply means that you've been brought to life. Jesus said you must be born again. You see, it's not the resurrection of the old, but it's a brand new creature. Jesus just don't want to do a makeover on you. And Jesus doesn't, does, doesn't want to, to just do a resurrection of the dead with me. But what Jesus wants to do and what he does do when we're saved, he says we're a brand new creature. We're regenerated. We're made brand new. We're not made over. We're not revised. We're, we're not overhauled. We didn't get some extreme makeover, but we're made into a brand new creature. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. You see, that's why that he says that behold, all the old things pass away and everything becomes new. It doesn't mean you get a new car. Don't mean you get a new house. It don't mean that you'll get, go through a transformation if you're ugly and you'll become pretty. It doesn't mean that you'll go through a transformation if you're bald-headed and you'll have a full head of hair. It doesn't mean if you're short you're going to get tall. It doesn't mean anything like that. But what it does mean is in a spiritual man or a spiritual woman that when you come in an encounter with Jesus Christ, you're made brand new in His sight. The old man has passed away and the new man has come on the scene. And we are new in Him. And simultaneously as we're regenerated, we become justified. Justification. Justification is actually a legal term. And what that just word justification means, it means we have a right standing before God. You see, Moses was in a very elite group of people that got to enter into the, stand in the presence of God. Very few people have done that. Moses, Elijah, you know, that, that elite group. There's no way I could stand in the presence of God, and I and I I don't mean to I don't mean to bust your bubble, but but there's no way you could stand in the presence of God, except for one way, and that's through the righteousness of His Son Jesus Christ. You see, because in in my my filthy rags righteousness that I have, as good as I could possibly be, which is probably not so awfully good, but in in the in the in the righteousness that I can muster up and I can come together with, I, I'm not worthy to stand in the presence of God. And in fact, His glory would consume me if I were to stand before Him in a natural presence. But understand this: that when I go before the King of Glory, when if I go before Him spiritually in prayer, or when the day comes that I stand. 
stand before Him face to face in a redeemed body. Let me tell you what's going to happen. It's not going to be me that stands in front of Him in my own self, but it's going to be the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, that will stand before Him and I will enter into His glorious presence in the glory of His Son because He has made me right through the confession of my sin, through the confession of my faith and the washing of the blood Jesus Christ has given me. My penalty has been absorbed in His death, burial and resurrection. My penalty has been absorbed in His blood and I'm justified and I'm justified by faith alone that the blood is sufficient to cover all of my sins. The third part of this latter glory is the work of sanctification that takes place. Now, I'm not real old. I'm not real old. 60 is sounding younger all the time. 60, I think, is the new 40, somebody said. Amen. Amen. Can somebody give me a witness on that? Yeah. 60 is the new 40. Okay. But I remember, and listen to me, some things had value. Some, some things we swang, we went too far. Some things we tried to let the pendulum swing too far the other way now. But I think somewhere we, that we missed the, the middle ground there along the way. But, but in my early days, in my early days of Pentecost, in my early days of being around the holiness churches, I remember those times, and some of you younger people, this may blow your mind, okay? I understand that. And we, we, we touched on this just a little bit in our life group this morning. I remember those days when, when women would bring, be up to the altar praying and they'd take their, they'd take their ear bobs off and lay them on the altar. Y'all remember that? And I can remember old brother Sam. Old brother Sam, for a long time, brother Sam preached on facial makeup on women. Women got picked on a lot. And one that one time, old brother Sam, there at the end of his, at the end of his ministry, at the end of his pastoring, after many many years, great soul winner, he said, "You know, I finally come to the conclusion: a little paint never hurt any old barn." I remember men, where if you didn't have on a long sleeve shirt, Charlie knows what I'm talking about. He said, he's told me many times, old W.W. Carter used to come to their house. You didn't have no coffee in the house, did you? Had post them. Cause it's caffeine free. Coffee substitute. Cause caffeine was of the devil. No Coca-Cola. Yeah, we had all these things and we practiced all these things in the name of sanctification. But I want you to understand this with me this morning. It's good to sanctify ourselves. It's good to have disciplines. I'm not saying that in the least. But I want to understand with me this morning. Don't get sanctification confused with works. Because sanctification is not about works. Sanctification is a spiritual work. It is a work that is achieved through faith. It's a work that is achieved through through Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is a setting apart. Listen, I remember one woman one time she got saved and she said and some sister pulled her aside and said, "If you don't be a Christian, you don't have to get rid of them cigarettes and get rid of them today." That woman went stark raving. 
been mad going cold turkey off of her cigarettes. She came to me. She said, what am I going to do? She said, I, 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 she, oh, she'd been hospitalized. I said, listen, I said, I, I think it would be good and advantageous to your witness and to your health for you to quit smoking. I said, but I want you to know this. I said, the Lord didn't give it to you, but he will help you conquering this habit and addiction that has gripped your life. Don't you let some old gray-haired woman tell you that you got to do this. You let the Holy Spirit take you on this journey and walk with you and lead you and guide you and let Him sanctify you and then everything is going to be alright. You see, it's a setting apart. Just sanctification is actually an invitation to participate in the glory of the Lord. Sanctification, let me say that again, is an invitation to participate in the glory of the Lord. He wants us to live. You know, we sang that song. Now you know why I had the song. Show me your glory. Show me. I want to look on your face. It's an invitation to participate in His glory. But here's the other thing about it, is sanctification is an ongoing baptism. Or an ongoing occurrence, if you would, in our life. I, I, I still believe in a definite work of sanctification. I believe that it's, I believe it is a, it is a work of grace that we should pursue in faith. I still believe that with all my heart. But I want to tell you, I thank God, and if you knew me, if you had known me too many years, you would thank God too, that I have grown in sanctification from the time that I came to the Lord back in 1979. I have grown in my sanctification since then. You know, sometimes youth and sometimes being a young adult interferes with sanctification. Sometimes, sometimes we just need to mature. But let me tell you this, I have grown in my sanctification since 1979. I have grown in my sanctification since since 2000. I have grown in my sanctification since 2020. And with the Lord's help, I will grow in my sanctification today from what it was yesterday. And I will come to a place in the Lord where I'm growing more spiritually, mature every day. And that's what He wants us to do. That's what He desires us to do. And that is what will bring His glory into our life as we mature in Him. And then the fourth thing is the Spirit baptism. The Spirit baptism. The Spirit baptism is part from salvation, but yet a very integral work, as I've already mentioned. The Spirit baptism is... is, is, is listen... I'm full, I'm, I'm full believer that spirit baptism is only going to come from being fully submitted to the Lord. It's not a haphazard gift. It is a gift, but it's not a haphazard gift. I think it's, it's that gift when we're fully committed, when we're surrendered to the Lord and we grab hold of that faith, we will find ourselves baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Last but not least, I want to speak to you just a brief moment here. About the future glory. The future glory. You say well. I thought you just talked about the latter glory. Yeah. The latter glory is where we're living right now. We're living in the latter glory. I'm not. I'm, I'm no longer dependent upon a Moses. To go to the mountain. And pick up some. 
tablets of stone. Couldn't you imagine putting those in your shirt pocket? I care. I've got some little tablets, some things that I do. I carry a little tablet around my shirt pocket. Now I'm just, I'm just being silly. I know they they weren't necessarily like that. But let me ask you a question: the future glory. We sang about the future glory as well, because as we sang that song, holy. Paul told Timothy, same guy. Paul told Timothy. He said, uh, if we suffer with Him, we'll also reign with Him. Now that is just really intriguing to most of us, right? Suffering. Suffer with Him, we get to reign. We don't like that word suffer. We don't like that part too much. Peter wrote of an unfading, undefiled, imperishable future in heaven. Paul wrote again to the Roman church with the reassurance of a glory, a heaven, as we call it, that is beyond comparison. So there is a future glory. The future glory is going to be much different than what we have now. I can't describe it because I don't know it at all of its terms, but I know it's going to be very different than what we have now because that future glory right now, right now, even in the, in this, in the latter glory that we live in right now, and you see Paul said we're going from glory to glory. We're going from glory to glory. We come from the glory of the law to the glory of Jesus Christ. We're going to go from the glory of Jesus Christ into the glory of heaven. From glory to glory to glory. I've heard songs you have too. I've seen pictures you have too. I've had my imagination. And you know, and we talked about streets of gold and gates of pearl and walls of jasper. And somebody the other night said to me, they uh, they asked me where I live and I was telling them where we live at. And they said, uh, and uh, I said, well, it's not a really big house at all. And, and I was just talking about it. And they said, yeah, but someday you don't get a mansion. And he said, boy, I wonder what that's, that's going to be a big one. I bet that's going to be a, and I said, I don't know what it's going to look like. Don't have a clue. I said, it don't even matter. Mansion actually means compartment when you flesh out the scriptures. I may not have no big house. Pardon my English. I may not have no big house. It may not be marble and fancy stone and anything like that. But I know this one thing. That whatever whatever that mansion is, I know it's a, there are many of them in that place. And it's a place that Jesus has prepared for me. And whether the streets are transparent gold or the gate is one pearl. And I believe that to be true because the Bible identifies it. But whatever happens there, the thing that is going to make heaven heaven is the glory of the Lord that inhabits that place. Because in the center of that city is the glory of Jesus Christ. And I'm not, I have a feeling when I get there, I'm not going to be worried about what my house looks like. I'm not going to be worried about what the streets look like. I'm not going to be interested in who is sitting by the river. But I'm going to be, I'm going to say, I want to get to the one that the glory is radiating off of. Because I've come from glory to glory and I'm going to glory again. Just show me Jesus. Just show me Jesus.
so every day, every day we're on a journey. Every day we're on a journey. We've come from glory and we're headed to glory. We're in the middle of glory right now as far as the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our next step into glory is going to be the eternal bliss of heaven, which is the, which is the habitation of His presence. I want you to know this. When we go from glory to glory, it's new every morning. It's new every night. His glory is immutable. His glory is everlasting. His glory is an artesian well of grace that is springing forth before us. I've received it. I am receiving it. And I'm going to continue to receive it until I inhabit glory. I've been transformed. You're being transformed. I will be transformed today. And I will be transformed tomorrow. The veil of separation was removed 2,000 years ago. And I've been transformed by the name of Jesus Christ into His image. We each have the opportunity to pursue a life of transforming glory and to live in the fullness of His person. Will you enter into glory with me today? Can you stand and give Jesus a hand clap of praise in this house this day? He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy.